You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. One of the things I'm excited about are these solutions that can automatically join some of the data or will recommend and make the process of combining and finding related data sources much easier. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Jen Underwood, an analytics expert and founder of Impact Analytics. Jen is a former product manager at Microsoft who spearheaded the design and development of the reinvigorated version of Power BI, which has since become a market-leading BI tool. Jen is an IBM Analytics Insider, SaaS contributor, former Tableau Zen Master, top 10 woman influencer, and an active analytics community member. She is keenly interested in the intersection of data visualization and data science and writes and speaks persuasively about these topics. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you, Wayne. I am so honored to be on the show with you today. You're certainly one of my, when I think about the folks that I've read through the years and looked up to, you're certainly right up there with, with some of the top folks that I've been following for many years. Well, thank you for those kind words. That's a great way to start. No, it's true. I I love your work. Well, we have you on the show here because you've become quite the thought leader in this era of analytics. And we wanted to hear what you think makes the current generation of analytics unique and different from prior generations. That's That's a great question. And I do get this question a lot. One thing that makes this era a bit different is the the true volumes of data that we're dealing with. And the other thing that we're finding is the tools themselves and the systems cannot efficiently analyze all of the available data. And with data being a competitive advantage, it's important to to be able to, to explore and get insights that you might not even think of yourself. And what the power of machine learning and you know, the, the, the types of artificial intelligence that we're now seeing sprinkled into the designs of these applications, they're really taking analytics a, a whole nother level of guiding and helping folks understand what they might not even think to ask. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Uh, we're seeing a lot of AI now uh, kind of permeate all kinds of software, uh, including analytics. And I know you follow this uh, quite closely. So how would you say that AI is being used in analytics today and how will it change the way people do analytics going forward? Oh, it's been really fun to see. And I remember it had to be about five years ago. I had a peer at Microsoft tell me he was going to be transitioning to a different area of the organization. He thought that analytics was going to be completely automated and I was somewhat skeptical, but now I see the life cycle of everything from connecting to data. I'm starting to see intelligent data prep where the solutions are smart enough. And there's only a couple leaders in this space where the solutions are smart enough to pre-combine data from different data sources and and join them and just ask the human, does this look right? To then, you know, cleansing the data. There's lots of, I shouldn't say lots, there's a few leading solutions that in the data cleansing part will make recommendations that can learn by the fixes that you make the human to to make it more intelligent in future fixes of the product and integrating in the product all the way to the visualization side with recommended visuals 
here are the key findings and insights and data, kind of the automated insights in Power BI. It was the, I, I think we called it quick insights. So many different tools have that now to now also have pro proactive predictive analytics and prescriptive guidance. If you have now these predictions, now what's going to be next? What do I do with this information? And now I'm even starting to see prescriptive analytics. And when you look at it all the way to prescriptive, now we're even seeing things like cognitive analytics being mentioned and talked about. It just keeps growing and growing across the entire life cycle. So when I think about where is AI, it's, it's almost being peppered in throughout the whole application itself from connecting to data to recommending what do you do in a certain scenario. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned the full stack, the full data pipeline, as we say, the, from source system all the way to the business user and beyond into the application if it's doing prescriptive. Mm -hmm. um, so is it a requirement today for analytics tools to do that full stack, to do the data sourcing, the cleansing, <laughs> Uh, you know, the integration as well as the analysis, the visualization and prediction? I think it helps to have a unified offering, although I still see you'll have, if you're very, very good at one specific thing. So Tableau is very, very good at the visuals and they've added a little bit of prep and there's a little bit more sophistication coming in the application. At least they showed that not this past Tableau conference, but two conferences ago being able to say, ask questions with natural language search. So we're seeing them start to add this. They just acquired a company called Empirical Systems that's doing a bit of automated insight detection. So we can imagine them doing that. For the most part though, I think there's still a place for someone, if you're really, really good at one specific thing, if you're better than all the rest, maybe you have, it's, it's uh, for instance, we have these natural language generation solutions. That's all they do. And so instead of building the whole platform, now we're just plugging in natural language generation into different parts or into different applications. So I think there's a role for, you know, the groups that have everything. And then there's there's a role for someone that might be an expert in something. Yeah, I think I agree with that, especially for things like natural language generation. Mm -hmm. However, I'm seeing something that maybe you are too in the industry is that we used to have different tools for reporting and dashboarding and then the discovery analysis like a Tableau. But now I'm starting to hear companies say, you know, we've got the Tableau or Power BI out there and, and you know, it doesn't, it's not great at reporting or dashboarding compared to some of these uh, more report specific type tools, but it's good enough. And it's we're really just gonna, enough. yeah, we're just gonna move to one tool uh, and use that for everything, except for the predictive stuff, at least for today. Um, do you? So you're seeing that too? So it's been really interesting. Uh, certainly, there was a time, and I'll never forget one of the energy companies here. It's not the one my husband works at, actually. My husband works for Duke Energy. Um, so I always talk about him in the IoT and Internet of Things. And, you know, he's from the consumer aspect. Uh, my tester on a lot of hmm. a lot of designs and products and projects that I've had through the years. But there was a different energy company that uh, that I was working with, and they had 19 tools. And I'll never forget the conversation with their with their CTO, who says, "You you really need to help me rationalize through these 19 tools." And oh my goodness, that is certainly a lot. And, and we take a look at it, and some of the things that we'll find, even if you want to rationalize to one tool, 
was that embedded systems will bake in, whether it's they have SAP business objects baked into some of the healthcare applications, or you'll have, maybe it's Cognos baked into some sort of application. There'll be different backends baked in. I think it's irrational to think that a very large organization that buys, you know, software for a vertical can guarantee they'll have only one. But I'm certainly hearing the desire for rationalization, you know, to, to you know, streamline the portfolio, how realistic it is at the end of the day, I don't know. So we're seeing a lot of BI tools start to incorporate predictive algorithms, uh, integrate with R. Uh, do you think the BI tool will ever be the place where data science happens predominantly, or um, will that happen elsewhere? I do. So it's it's funny, those worlds are starting to overlap now, and I usually will analyze different different premier analyst rankings and I'll look at their reports and whatnot if they jive with, with what I do. I know I'm always physically testing a lot of these tools or playing with it, but what I'm seeing are these these tools now are overlapping and certainly, certainly some of the tools that I'm testing will have a, a data science workbench in the traditional tool itself. When we were designing Power BI, I don't know if folks realize this, but I really pushed for the R. And uh, one of the things that I think tipped tipped that without giving secrets away was how many people had read. I had this Microsoft SSRS. It was a reporting services blog uh, with, you know, this, this hack essentially with, with how to incorporate R in there and how popular that crazy blog was uh, certainly helped push and make the case to, to integrate R in. We are finding now a lot of the folks that are using the visualization tools, they come out as more data savvy than they've ever been before. So we are seeing more Python be incorporated into these tools, our functionalities be incorporated into these tools. And the next step will certainly be to call some of the algorithms. And if I think about the different vendors that I've, I've worked with or reviewed their solutions, there's now even solutions that make it really, really easy to call a REST endpoint to machine learning algorithm and just you know consume that endpoint within the app itself, or in this case, within the dashboard itself. So yeah, I do think we'll start to bring these together, minimally being able to call an endpoint or being able to consume some of the service-based AI that's available. Um, but eventually, I think they're all gonna blend together into you know the almost the old world that we were in to some degree. I mean, we think about history repeating itself, but we're certainly seeing the audiences with citizen data science and whatnot starting to rise blend as well. Yeah, for sure. Now you had mentioned prescriptive and cognitive. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can tell us what the difference is or tell us what cognitive is, or is that just another buzzword oh, okay. for yeah, data let's science? Talk about differences. And essentially you think about prescriptive and you're usually talking about simulation of all these different scenarios, of all these different predictions, and here are all the variables and here are the the distributions that you might have with it and the probabilities that this this condition might happen, the best case and the worst case. Um, one of my favorite vendors there is Frontline Systems. They built the optimization functionality in Excel and then they have this entire platform that's separate from that. Um, but they're probably one of the leaders in that particular space of what I would call the prescriptive analytics and optimization simulation model. So people do want to learn it. Those guys, they have uh, all these different spreadsheets and whatnot you can download and kind of get your hands, you know, play with some simple examples because that's a whole different art form, very different than predictive modeling. It's 
it's more of an art of like super what if scenarioing if I had to, to try to describe it. So optimization is what you're talking uh, that's about. Optimization yeah, yeah. and simulation. Yeah. yeah. So you'll put together these designs of, a, and this is, I mean, the people that are probably doing finance and you know, really savvy finance and accounting, those are the types of things they're probably playing with with scenarios and super what if forecasting per se. The cognitive, when you start to think about that, that's when, when you're looking at things like neural networks and for folks that are not, you know, data science-y, it, it sort of simulates the human brain and it learns by making mistakes and, and, and not making mistakes. So the human will usually guide it. Yes, this was correct. That wasn't quite correct. And it self-learns. And when you start thinking about cognitive analytics, I think really the only group that's talking about it, I don't know how great they're doing, is IBM. They they talk about this. They've had Watson Analytics for a long, long time. I haven't seen much market uptake of it. It's a neat tool. Um, but that concept of Watson and being able to to interact with it on a whole different level, that I, I don't think we're quite there. I haven't seen anything that's really been amazing yet in that space, but I'm sure some of the you know people that are truly working on AI at IBM and some of these other companies could probably give much better case studies there. Now, a lot of my clients, just to change the topic a little bit, are very <laughs> focused on trying to succeed with self-service analytics, which was the promise of tools like Tableau and 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 Click and Power BI, which you're very familiar with. Yep. But on the law on the no, the road to success, a lot of companies hit some major speed bumps with those tools. They were very popular, in fact, too popular, and they kind of spread like weeds and ended up strangling the, the company uh, with just too many different versions of, of the same oh. thing, creating conflicts, uh, uh, inconsistencies in the data, and just mass confusion, kind of the proverbial Tower of Babel. And I'm wondering if you're seeing uh, ways that these tools that, that you've used and helped build are overcome or are, are addressing that challenge and, and providing more governance along with the self-service. Yeah. So let's talk about that. That's one of my super hot buttons. It's been one of my super hot buttons since at least 2010. So we're talking almost a decade now of me talking about this fallacy of self-service VI to some degree. Um, I actually, I have a blog too on this where I call it the self-service BI fantasy. I think I put it on genunderwood.com, there's a little, there's a link on the side of the most popular ones. And I think I have this fantasy blog there. It's, it's, it's been, again, you know, kind of this tried and true when you talk about it. I'm like, who is selling this? It's not quite there yet. So when I say that, just like you had said, you, you, it's not, it's easier to create a report, but there's still the whole art, art to creating a data warehouse underneath it that accurately reports data over time and that data over time accuracy is really key there. A lot of folks don't realize this and they create what I would call the big data mess. And I've cleaned up a lot of data messes in my career. So for me, uh, I've seen too many of these and I try to educate folks along the way. You still have to have a data warehouse or you still should have, you know, an enterprise strategy to get data accurately to empower folks to use the data, but not necessarily try to build a data warehouse with this tool on their own. It's, it's not, oh dear, a big mess. What I'm seeing to improve it, and some of the things that at Microsoft, we had in a roadmap, and I think they're public now, so it's, it's long been public, it's nothing secretive, was having quick starts for folks. So we would design a solution template starter, and we're certainly seeing more things like that, or you have solutions like that. Datarama is a great example of another one that just 
create some of the models automatically for folks who just connect your data and boom, now you have an automated solution. I think Burst does that. There's a few groups that do a nice job with that um, to help folks. Odomo does that too, actually. They're a whole nother, they're a whole nother topic. Um, but basically just creating folks of just connect your data and we'll feed it into a properly formatted data warehouse and then let you just play and get the insights and, and you know, not necessarily create a big mess uh, in the past. But those are type, the types of things that I'm seeing from an AI perspective. One of the things I'm excited about are these solutions that can automatically join some of the data or will recommend and make the process of combining and finding related data sources much easier. Yeah, it is impressive now. I've seen quite a few demos where you could just feed a data set to one of these tools and it will automatically generate a report, you know, the model, the report, the dashboard, and recommendations for other related reports. It's you know completely automating the creation of the of the uh, analysis, right? And in many mm -hmm. cases, it's going to be doing the analysis itself because it has the interpretive capability through the AI tools to tell you what's important and valid uh, in that data set. So <laughs> it's doing the whole spectrum of analysis. So that leads me to my next question is, well, what's the future of this stuff? If, <laughs> if we're using AI and it's so powerful that it's going to actually generate the reports and generate the insights and analysis, what's left for human beings to do? Uh, so well, you, yeah, you touched on it. So part of it's governance. So it's going to be really easy. And I, and I say this even when I talk about some of the automation tools that I just love. It's really easy to, to make not good reports, too. As you know, or incorrect reports, it's easy to feed in the wrong data. So I think for us data and BI and analytics you know, savvy pros, it's having that really good infrastructure behind there, something that's solid, that's data you can trust, it's governed, you have security around it. So having that part mastered is really important so that you can leverage the tools on top of it. Another thing, and I'm not sure if people are thinking like this, but you know, having been a product manager on some of these tools, you're always looking at, well, there's the there's the way you expect people to use it. What are some of the naughty people going to do? Because um, you have to think about that, or think about things. You know, when I watch people testing tools, which is so so much fun, by the way, I love product management and designing products. And you're like, why did you do that? Why would you even think that's what you're supposed to do? And you'd sit there and go, oh, I wonder what. Why would they think that? But one of the things that I think you'll find is people trying to break it, trying to trick the algorithms. And there'll be like this whole, you know, separate things right now in the cybersecurity space. You'll have people that are professional hackers. And I had once worked in the DOD where uh, I had to, on DOD projects, attack our own sites. So you'll have this whole thing too when you think about automated decision making. There'll be this whole, this whole probably area of understanding how these algorithms work you know, the data literacy, you know, promo, the promotion and push that we're seeing across the industry right now, but also understanding, you know, making sure that these things make sense because they look good, but did, is it really valid? Can you trust it? Can you trust it? I remember when GPS systems first came out, I got into an airport shuttle Ooh. in Washington, D.C. Uh, with about 10 other people. Uh, and we took our lives in our own hands because the guy, the driver, had no idea where he was going, but he was trusting the GPS uh, 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 completely. And he, at one point, he stopped 
dead in the middle of a highway because he didn't know whether he needed to turn left or right. And we all curled in the back, oh, fearing, no. fearing the worst. So, yeah. Uh, so I like what you're saying. You know, you can have very elegant AI and algorithms, but if it's, it's, if it's garbage in, you're just going to get garbage out. That's right. And then it looks like, given what you're saying, that we're going to need to validate the algorithms probably every time we run them to make sure that we're not being sent, you know, off the off the cliff, right? And blindly <laughs> off the cliff that have no idea that that's happening because someone has corrupted the intentionally or not the algorithm. Well, even when even when I deploy a model or I have deployed a model in the past, I would have you know reality, and then I'd have. The, you know, the reporting of what actually happened. So you're always fine tuning and it's always feeding new data and new information in, but you're always wanting to see, hey, how accurate is it and kind of keeping a monitor on it. And once it starts to not be fresh anymore, it, you know, over the beginning, it should be pretty close to, to pretty good, pretty good. And if you keep feeding it and you're always feeding the model, it shouldn't stay up to date. So think about news, right? So if you haven't read the news for a couple of weeks, you may not know what's going on anymore. You may not make the right prediction or the right bet or et cetera. Um, it's one of those things that you got to keep it updated. And, and, you know, the other thing too, though, is looking at what are you feeding in? Because it's only going to know what you feed in. So you're hearing a lot about bias. You're hearing a lot about ethics. And these are good conversations to have. I think the weakness that we have in the United States, at least, is there hasn't been a lot of accountability for when we have ethics issues or you know some of the problems that we've had i finally saw yesterday california pass some sort of data privacy act which is like mind-blowing to me i'm so excited i'm like really consumer privacy finally uh that even somebody's talking about this and the legislation pushed it through against even some of the big techs you know mm. desires so it's going to be an interesting time there's there's so many topics we could dive into quite frankly Oh, it is interesting times. But let me try this topic out for you. All right. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about AI is going to be the, the, the dearth of jobs. Uh, so do you think AI is going to be a productivity enhancer or a job replacer? Oh, uh, it's going to be a changer. That's for <laughs> sure. And I, and I think some of the greedy corporations are definitely going to replace some folks. I have no doubts on that. And I talk to people about this. I, it's probably one of the biggest fears that yeah, I have anxiety about some of the things that I see happening. But at the same time, I have another friend of mine that balances out my anxieties and he'll tell me, well, think about there wasn't drone driving or there wasn't this. And, you know, he talks about all these different things. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. And, you know, you think about over time, you know, certainly there was the horse and buggy drivers and, you know, you have all these different jobs that people had and it evolved and changed. So there will probably be some sort of evolution and change of jobs. It's just, we don't we don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet. Yes, uh, I tend to, at least right now, think it's more of a productivity enhancer. And that's because I, like you, work in these big corporations and I see how much wasted time and effort there is <laughs> that if we yeah. applied AI to it, and we are, just in the field of analytics, there's so much manual work that's done and rework. Okay. And if we could automate that and start automating these pipelines, even automating the, the creation of reports, which in a way is kind of manual work, right? and just focus on the value, which is the analysis, the insight, and the action, uh, 
that's not going to replace people. It's going to make the people who are there more efficient and allow them to do other things in the organization that need to be done rather than all this manual work. Oh, yeah. And it's not value-add work. So one of the things when I think about, it's so fun, and I've been trying to get people to adopt predictive now for at least 15 years. It's so sad. I was 2003 when I first was digging into some of this. And I'm like, I can't believe it was 15 years already. But I would just say, well, we could be proactive and you know, we're just wasting time on all this. And what if you just get this key insight? And what I'm finding now, and when I would work on projects, I mean, people don't care about the, the, the beautiful pipeline or the, the ETL packages that I'm creating and what crazy hoops I jumped in. They only cared about the key insight and what to, what, again, what to do about that, right? What action to take, as you're saying. And what we'll see is being able to get that insight much faster and being able to get the information when and where you need it most with embedded analytics and embedded, embedded artificial intelligence is going to be amazing uh, at what you can do. So it'll also be interesting to see how much faster, how much more. Can we already see data being the number one project on CIOs agendas and it's been for a while um, even how much more important it's going to get in the digital era yeah absolutely absolutely now you know ai brings up this uh this other contention between man and the machine uh, and as, <laughs> as we finish off this conversation i was wondering if you could talk about where you know what's what's the role of mankind going forward and the role of machines can they work synergistically together are they complements or competitors Ooh, so they're complements and it's really important that even in the solutions that we see today we're seeing even in the, in the early adoption of some of the ai algorithms and bi was this correct was this not correct and you'll see things like like or yes or thumbs up there'll be all these different ways to guide the system so if you think about again that cognitive analytics that neural network where was this correct or not? I think you're training your baby. Nope, now it wasn't quite right. Or yes, this was this was this was very good. Uh, es essentially, you're going to see the human guiding it, and you'll continue to see the human guiding it. I think for for at least the next few years, if not longer, on keeping these systems. And when I look in the future too, I still think the humans have to stay in control of the machines. And there's certainly some fun movies out there where you know the machine the machine will trick the human. Uh, that I've seen out there, but essentially we, we should be guiding these machines and helping them. And it's the human mind and the humanity piece of this that is going to be important because there's still a lot of emotions and, you know, there's some things that are scientific, but at the end of the day, a lot of people make decisions still based on emotion and that's a human thing. Yes. Well, let's hope the, uh, the humans keep control, at least during our <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Sometimes a machine might be better. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would agree in some cases. But anyway, Jen, it was a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Uh, loved uh, your insights and your thoughts, and um, love to have you back again sometime. Oh, absolutely. Let's do this again. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.